I'm, I'm going to pray to start us here, and then we're going to watch actually a short video. This is the first video we've ever watched, so whoa, right? Uh, so, so pray, yeah, right? Uh, pray with me. Uh, Father, still um, our hearts and our minds, uh, we're so used to um, the frenzy of our work weeks and family life and, and just um, still us right now. Uh, speak to us, speak through me um, and, and through others in this room. Let your Holy Spirit um, uh, make you known. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think there's a lot of things that that we all need to detox from. Uh, I feel like there's a need a need to detox from consumerism and materialism, um, which maybe brings it back to the whole idea of you know. Results that things only matter if they can be quantified, that things only matter if they can be measured. Um, if they can get them onto my, you know, spreadsheet, that's that's real. And I find that so often the spirit moves and breathes in the white space around the spreadsheet. Um, and so for me, I think that detoxing from the world's views of women and the world's views of, um, you know, culture and consumerism and materialism and war and you know all these different things, scarcity. Detoxing from the, the view of that there's not enough and I've got to fight for everything that's mine um, is so different than the kingdom of God. So different from that reorientation of, you know, that the, the last will be first and the first will be last and that we are servants of one another and we are called to submit to one another and love one another and that you are operating from fear and power and hunger but instead from the idea that there's always more than enough and that what, what I have is enough, who I am is enough. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's a lot of different areas where I've, I still struggle. And I think that we all do, I think, because it's, I don't know, so internalized, maybe. You don't even realize it until maybe it's time. Until it's time to realize it. I think that's part of the reason why I have a lot of trust in the Holy Spirit is because there's times I've moved through my life with something that's been terribly broken. But until I was ready to have it healed, the Spirit didn't move into that spot. And I think that's probably so part of the problem with a lot of the structures of, you know, religion or accountability groups and programs and whatever else, is we try to fix all the things we see in each other apart from the spirit. And sometimes we just aren't ready for that yet. We're not at that place yet where that's ready to be healed and we're ready for, for that, you know, leaning in to happen. But when it is, there's new life on the other side of that. Um, I think we have a real addiction to efficiency. <laughs> and... This is another thing that having small children has really helped me, is that there's one thing that mothering is, it's not efficient. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and I have spent the last nearly eight years of my life being very inefficient. And it has been one of the best things that has ever happened to me, to walk slow, to move slower, to um, not be maybe as, having it all and yet having everything, wanting for nothing and yet having everything or something. Um, 
but it has. It, it, it has changed everything. And, and I think that being able to let go of the tick marks of here's what makes you a successful Christian, here's what makes you, you know, your evangelical hero complex, again, going back to that. Um, when you lay that down and set it on fire and watch it go, and then you see that there's a new life that begins to take, take form there that I would have missed if I hadn't been slower. Even people, not seeing people as interruptions and being able to actually have conversations and be in person instead of someone with an agenda. <laughs> So I thought that was a, a decent intro uh, for um, how we're going to be thinking and talking about Lent um, as uh, an opportunity to uh, that last question on the screen, what, what do you need to lay down and set on fire? Um, I grew up <coughs> uh, observing Lent in, in some settings where like it was, you know, what are you going to give up for this season? And my dad is a really good Catholic, and if you ask him right now, he'll like gruffly, sarcastically say, oh, "Give it up, give it up, something for Lent," uh, and that's my dad. So, but uh, in a lot of ways, though, like uh, you know, Lent is a is a time more so to take up something, to take up. It could be a discipline. It could be um, uh, more focused prayer or more focused time with people more disconnected time from um, the things that hold us down. Or it could be, uh, like what she said, uh, reorienting um, around some of these things that you count as losses that actually could, with the Holy Spirit breathing into them, be gains, inefficiencies, and um, uh, things that you um, hate about your life. Uh, if you slow down, they, they look a little differently. So our time, um, starting Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, uh, will be a time of, of detox. It'll be a time of refocus. Uh, and so we purposely didn't, didn't give you any sort of like devotional material as to load you down with something, because uh, each person uh, is going to need something a little different uh, for this time. But um, this coming Wednesday, we'll celebrate Ash Wednesday by having an open sanctuary from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. So either on the way to work, during lunch, or somewhere in between. If you have kids, uh, the mom's group meets from 10 to 12, and th there will be sitters. Um, don't, like, come and drop your kids off and then leave. Uh, but, but know that, that that's an option, too, because we want everyone to have enough t uh, chance and time to participate. So there will be an open sanctuary, and we'll be offering ashes, and um, these are actual ashes from last Palm Sunday, and, and there, there's great irony in, you know, um, celebrating a, a day when we refocus, when we um, have um, ashes put in the shape of a cross right between our eyes um, to remind us that we've, we're from dust and we're going to dust, uh, to remind us of our mortality, to remind us of our sin, to call us to repentance, but also uh, to signify the, the cleansing possible uh, in Christ and in the cross and, and, and gearing us towards Easter and resurrection. So we'll do that Wednesday, again, from 7 to 1, and it's on your order of worship. And then this coming Sunday, uh, we'll, have, we'll host Jeremy Begbie. Um, and each Sunday in Lent, where I'm really excited. Nate's not here today, but uh, he, he and some, some other folks are working on some original 
um, artwork for each week. And, and, uh, and so we're hoping to kind of engage our senses in a little bit different and a little special way during this time. Uh, when we come for communion, for instance, we're going to have uh, a chance to, um, to receive uh, Christ's body and blood uh, on this table, but we'll also have a chance to kind of lay down something. Or, or um, There will be stations, and you'll be able to, to write or mark or, or do something to that tablecloth with charcoal, uh, again, connecting it to our own um, mortality, our own ashes, our own repentance. Um, and, and then uh, we hope to really transform that come Easter. So uh, it, it'll truly be a, a work of the people together here, and I'm really excited to, to do that uh, with you all. Uh, we'll, we'll be studying Jesus' uh, words from the cross, his, his final seven words over these next uh, six weeks plus uh, Good Friday. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And so to intro that, um, to, to get into that, today we're, gonna, we're going to um, hear from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian community in chapter 2. And, and uh, since we're going to be so focused on the cross, um, why, why not uh, hear from Paul about what he knows and what he hopes to know? So Lindsay's going to come and read uh, the first five verses from chapter 2 for us. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Thanks, Lance. So y'all have heard about this book. Um, it's called To Kill a Mockingbird. Has anyone heard of that? Uh, there's a sequel coming out. You know, 55 years after uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was released. It's written by Harper Lee. And, and the sequel was announced this, uh, th- this last week or so. It's called Ghost Set a Watchman. And it's kind of anticipated, kind of controversial. Um, but it was really interesting. I was listening to... Uh, this little segment on NPR, and they, they were talking about Harper Lee, and they, they mentioned one of my other favorite writers, um, uh, Flannery O'Connor, and, and what she, she said about Harper Lee. Um, she was only kind of a fan of To Kill a Mockingbird, and, and she once said, it's interesting that all these folks are buying this book and they don't know that it's a kid's book, which is such like a backhanded, snide Flannery O'Connor thing to say. Um, but her point was, like, this book is getting so much notoriety. People, it's flying off the shelves, and people are so excited about it. It's the great American novel. It's been, you know, called, besides the Bible, the most important book in America. And Flannery O'Connor says, eh, it's kind of like Twilight or Harry Potter. You know, like, what a slap, right? But I think that's a little bit what we get from Paul here um, when he talks about his words lacking eloquence, lacking wisdom, proclaiming a testimony about God. Uh, it's, it's speculated, even by some of Paul's contemporaries, that he, you know, I, I think we get this, this really 
sure view of Paul because of how forceful some of the things he says. But I think in person, he was probably not that great of a speaker. I think he's really good in writing, not really good in person. And so uh, you almost get the sense that he's a little self-conscious in this passage. You know, we, we know that, that Paul um, even has the benefit of, of having some editors and some scribes with him. You know, Romans talks about Tertius wrote this. And, and every once in a while, he'll kind of step out of that and say, I'm writing this letter in my own hand or in Galatians. He says, see how big I write these letters to say that I'm doing this, you know. But, so, so maybe Paul's good in print, but he's not good in person. But, and, and this, is, this is a great thing for for folks that don't really feel very articulate, don't really feel, this, this is for the introverts among us. Who's an introvert? You will not raise your hand if you're an introvert. <laughs> but the good thing for Paul, and Paul knew this, is that the medium, to some extent, is the message. Paul's weakness, his, his lack of eloquence, his lack of feeling like he was wise, didn't hurt his message. It was his message. He wasn't preaching some powerful thing out of weakness and hoping that somewhere along the way it, it got amplified or pumped up. It was the very thing that he was talking about. So to the point where Paul can, can say, look at me. I'm weak. Look. And in some way that tells you about the cross and that tells you about God. Later, Theologians and, and especially followers of, of Martin Luther talk about the theology of the cross, and, and that, that mostly just means that when we look at the cross, it tells us something. It tells us everything about who God is and how God saves the cross. Not some proof, not some um, mighty wisdom or human eloquence, but the cross. That medium is the message. That weakness is the message. I, I, I love, and if you look at this passage, um, there's, there's a couple of things, and there's some things implied. When he says, I did not have any human wisdom, and then later on, uh, that, that kind of implies that I'm still speaking with wisdom, but it's not mine. And I think that's an echo of Isaiah 55, when, when, or at least a, a side note of it, of the, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, this is God speaking. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. Paul did not come with human knowledge, but some sort of divine wisdom. And I think he knew that that wisdom was controlled by the cross. It, it, it was held in the cross. And then later he says, I came to you in weakness, and again, this weakness was not, was not for Paul to self-deprecate, but it was to be a demonstration of God's power, the Spirit's power. His, human, his lack of human wisdom showed God's power. So for the next six or so weeks, that's what we're going to kind of meditate on as we look at the cross, as we look through the crosses, is how can something that week be so strong for us. And we're going to do this a couple different ways. Um, each week we're going to hear from the cross. And I think that's important for us is, is to hear from the cross because if you want to know someone, you, you, you 
how they should listen to their words, right? So each week we're going to hear Jesus' words from the cross, and, 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 and these come out of each of the Gospels, and you can find them pretty easily as the seven words of Christ. And, and they range from next week, Dr. Begbie will be talking about, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise as he talks to the, the bandit on his side. He speaks to, to his beloved disciple and to his mother, and, and he says, Woman, behold your son, and man, behold your mother. He also uh, echoes that, uses the words in his mouth of Psalm 22 when on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This would be a great series if, if you've ever felt those words. Also from the cross, he says, I thirst. And then it is finished. That's that ironic, those ironic words of victory that we'll um, have on Palm Sunday. And then finally, on Good Friday, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So you see where we're going. You know that we're going to be hearing from the cross. And it's a good way not just to learn um, about Jesus, but presumably to learn how God speaks. So often it's, we walk around and we feel like we cannot hear God. <laughs> Has anyone ever felt that? Frustrated by that? But when we kind of zoom into these words and they come from the cross, we, we start to see how God speaks. Precisely at the point when you'd expect God to intervene or God to jump off that cross or, or the Father to save Jesus, sometimes we get silence. And so this is what listening to the cross does for us. It, it helps us in, in whole seasons of our life when all we hear is silence. We listen to Jesus' words from a, a world-shattering place, that cross, and, and it's a place of our salvation, mysteriously. And we hope to have our world shattered and kind of reassembled in that shape. So we'll hear from the cross, and then we'll come to the cross. And this seems pretty simple. We'll come to the cross, and it's kind of cool. Every week we come to the cross to receive from this table. In Paul's uh, words from the letter to the Corinthians, he, he says, I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that word is, and, and I'm nervous in the same room as Joe here, among others, but that word is a, it's a perfect passive participle to get really grammatical for you. And what that means is that it happened in the past. Jesus was crucified, but it's got ongoing significance for our present and our future. That Christ was crucified, but that crucifixion is effective. It works for us. That Christ's identity is stamped by the cross. Who Christ is is intimately involved in the cross. And even before Jesus took the cross... That cross was the shape of Jesus. That was always where he was going. That was the shape of his life. The cross then is not canceled out by his resurrection, but it's, it's kind of reaffirmed. And if you ask Thomas, um, you'll know that even the resurrected Jesus was the crucified Jesus. He put his hands in his, in his 
hand, it, the nail marks in his hands and in his side. So what does this mean for us? I, I, I think it means that we come to the cross, we, we come initially for salvation, and then we, we keep coming back. You know, this is kind of a life that's lived between Galatians 2 and Luke 9, right? Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Has anyone ever sung that as a kid's song? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. We've come to the cross and we've been crucified, crucified with Christ. And then Luke 9 is Jesus, and this is before he even takes the cross. He's predicting his death. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses daily. This is us coming back to the cross, following Jesus. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. We come to the cross and it's something that was completed, but it's ongoing. I came to the cross as a high school senior, <laughs> repenting, asking for forgiveness, receiving all that grace that God gave in Jesus on the cross. I was baptized into a, a watery grave and risen with Christ. And my life um, was then to bear kind of those marks of crucifixion. Not, not really, because Jesus did that for me, for us. But it was to change me. And now, the challenge, the goal, is to keep coming back to the cross. To come back on a daily basis. To come back in each interaction I have with people. And, and, and this, is, this is the goal. This is the goal for our Lenten season. This is the goal for our life. To keep coming back to the cross. It's interesting. I, I think I'm most liable to, to really purposely come back to the cross when it's time to make a big decision. Right? You come to the cross when it's like time to figure out like, when to move or when to take a new job or um, how to treat someone or how to deal with your three-year-old <laughs> or all these things. But, but the, and that's good. We come to the cross in major decisions. But why do we think that, that all of a sudden we can, we can do what that requires if we're only occasionally coming to the cross. That might be confusing. It's, it's tempting to believe that because Jesus was, was fully God and fully man that somehow going to that cross was easy for him. But if you read deeper in the Gospels, you see that Jesus' whole shape, his whole orientation was towards that cross enable, to enable him to take that cross. The cross wasn't wasn't an outlier. It wasn't an event um, that was kind of unforeseen. It wasn't an accident. Jesus was able to take that cross, was able to say these words from the cross because Jesus' life was constantly at that cross even before it was at that cross. And, and that's, our, that's our model. That's our goal is to, to keep coming to that cross, to come to that cross um, when, it, when it's really hard when it's really hard to deny yourself, when it's really hard to um, not get those small bits of revenge on someone, to not like assert yourself over someone, to come to the cross. 
to come to the cross when, when your, your mind wanders or your eyes wander and, and, and shouldn't be looking at things that are looking at it, to, to come to the cross um, with people we don't like, our enemies, um, our imagined enemies that we don't even know but we don't like, to come to the cross. To come to the cross in the way that, that we're becoming, for the person that we're becoming, or for me, the pastor I'm becoming, to come to the cross for the dad that I'm becoming and the friend that I'm becoming or the husband I'm becoming. And that means constantly returning to the cross and doing it with the same kind of mindset that Paul shows us without human wisdom and with great fear and trembling. So we're going to hear from the cross and we're going to come to the cross and, and finally we're going to see through the cross, hopefully. And I think this is the result of coming to the cross so much. That so we start to see through the cross. It becomes our lens. We start to see the world a little differently. We're kind of like Paul now that we can start to see losses as gain in Christ. Or, or like the video we watch where we can start to see uh, things as possibilities rather than deficits. So the cross becomes our lens, and I think it also becomes kind of a, a cipher for us. We're able to look at, at people that, uh, whose lives have kept coming to the cross, and they don't really make sense. They don't fit our categories. We, we just know that something's different. But when we look through the cipher of the cross, it, it's our kind of decoder ring. They, they start to make sense. This is, and I knew Jeff was going to be here this morning. So uh, this is kind of the case with, like, like Dean Smith, who passed away this last week, that um, you, couldn't, you can't really categorize the guy. He, he lived such a, a strange um, life in terms of his public life, his, his kind of activist life, and, and the way he treated people um, kind of extended far beyond what you'd expect a, about a celebrity like that. You know? And most of this stuff comes... Not even front, we don't even know about from him or from reporters, but, but like years down the road and letters that have been written or conversations that have been had. And, and, and the point of this is that Dean Smith, it, it's been interesting to hear how he's been eulogized in Chapel Hill or in the media, but his life really doesn't make that much sense apart from the cross. He, he's, he's, not, he's not really a great, like, legacy basketball coach apart from like seeing it through the cipher of the cross he's not he's not a great like though he was involved like democrat he doesn't like fit all those descriptions apart from what was driving it his movement to and from the cross the cross becomes our cipher it's also our lens it's what we judge things by um last week or a couple weeks ago now I went to this thing, and I, I told some of you guys about it. It's called Creative Mornings, and it's like this TED, local TED Talk thing. And, and it was really interesting. The um, topic was uh, ugly. Yeah, I go to a talk on ugliness. That's right. But like they make you name tag when, when you go in, and, and the name tag says, Hi, my name is Chris, and um, blank is the opposite of ugly. And you're supposed to fill it in, and that's like your 
icebreaker and and like there there's like this this one guy you could tell he was like single and ready to mingle because he he wrote you are opposite of ugly and he was like really looking for female response off that but you know the the interesting thing is is um the and, and that's how the talk was was kind of phrased is what is the opposite of ugly and it wasn't wasn't good enough to say pretty it wasn't even good enough to say beautiful, because what does that even really mean? And, and it was interesting that the, the speaker, who's a, a mural painter in Raleigh, he did a good job um, at, at, at trying to grasp at this, but he was re it really seemed like he was grasping, because it didn't seem like he had the kind of lens to work with to say why something so beat up or so spent could be the opposite of ugly. You know, he showed a, a, a pair of um, um, are, are Red Wing work boots, like really good work boots. He showed a brand new pair and a, and a pair that's been worn for five years and resold by a mural painter, if you can imagine what that looked like. And uh, he was able to say, like, I find the old beat up pair much more not ugly than this new pair. Kind of the paradox of that. And, and, and he had the hardest time of saying why. <laughs> I think it's things like that that, that when, we, when we can start to look through the cross, we can understand why, because even that old pair of shoes kind of showed us a little glimpse of the cross, of, of something being spent, being used, being sacrificed for someone else. So I think we, we can see this in, in people for sure, and I, and I even think there's little parables all around us of, of that. It's when Paul... Uh, again, in, in another letter to the Philippians, he kind of uh, starts to close the letter and he says, Brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure and lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything's excellent and praiseworthy, think on such things. And again, those words are kind of empty, vacuous words, but um, he's already given us a cipher, the thing to look through. And it's the same thing that we said in our call to worship, this, this fact that Jesus had this cross mindset and we're called into this mindset of Christ who humbled, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does this look like? I, I think our, our minds and our visions start to get trained um, what this looks like. Hopefully we get better and better at recognizing what this looks like. I think that's part of the, the goal of Ash Wednesday, to smear a cross-shaped ash right in between your eyes so that you start to have your mind and your eyes transformed to see what this looks like. I think that's why Nate and some others are going to be creating some of these pieces to, to match up with some of these words that we hear to, to spark our imaginations, to, to train our eyes and, and help us see better. And then what does this feel like? You know, sometimes it feels really freeing to let go of stuff. To, uh, you know, that's, I think, what Sarah Bessie on the video did a good job of kind of naming. But to be honest, sometimes it doesn't feel very freeing. Sometimes it feels like a cross. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a crucifixion. Sometimes it is sacrifice and dying and self-denial. 
And that's something that, that I think we learn to do slowly and surely in community together. Um, it's always um, better to, to have someone with you as you suffer, <laughs> even if that suffering is self-induced suffering. It's always good when you're detoxing to have someone that'll just sit with you as you detox, as those pangs, whatever they may be for, kind of go through your body and then leave you. So I think that's the task for us during the season for our lives. It's what Paul says, to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To hear from the cross, to keep coming to the cross over and over and over and over and over again. So much so that we start to see through the cross. We see ourselves through the cross. We see each other. We see this world. We, we see God through the lens of that cross. Uh, I really wanted to bring in, I forgot it, this glass cross that they give you um, when you graduate the Divinity School. And it's like, they give you a different color every year and it's supposed to be reflective of the stained glass window. What color did you get, Joe? You got blue, that's pretty cool. Mine is clear, so it's like an ice cube on my desk. Um, but it's really cool, like, because you can kind of see through it. It's obscured, there's bubbles in it, so you can't really see through it, but uh, it's, it's about this big and it's shaped like the cross. For this last week, I've had that on my desk as kind of something, a tangible reminder to look through that, that, that you, you could and you should, and, and, and maybe our whole call and vocation is to, to look through the cross and to be surprised at what we see. Uh, will you pray with me, and, and then we'll share some time of um, confession and conversation with God as we, as we open ourselves to, to hear from him. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for this day, this coming season, um, uh, to reorient our lives to the cross. I, I, I thank you for your son that you gave to this world that you so loved. I thank you that when you decide to show yourself to us, it, it, it comes not in strength or thunderbolts or sky written messages, but in the weakness of your son dying for us, carrying our burdens for us. God, change, change our hearts um, only because of that. Uh, help us uh, think on and honor and value that kind of sacrifice. We thank you for loving us first so that we can love others and, and we help, hope that our love looks and feels um, a lot like the cross. Spirit, and empower us. Um, give us endurance to, to do this. Um, convict us and, and, and show us um, the ways that, that our vision of reality, our hopes, don't align with that, don't look like that, that, the ways that they look like power or um, grasping or um, trying to uh, 
to circumvent the cross in order to get to eternal life. Father, we thank you so much for meeting us at the cross over and over uh, with your Son, the risen Jesus. Amen.